0: Right, let's uh, continue our theme today. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed, we're looking at belief, we're looking at what we believe. And uh, last week we looked at God the Father. Good, as somebody was listening, that's good stuff. And uh, today we're going to continue with that theme. We're going to look at I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So today we're going to think about what it is to know God as creator. What does that mean? What's its implication for us? And really, what's its implication for us on a mission as people who are seeking to reach out and see people's lives transformed? So we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1. If you've got a Bible in front of you. Uh, that, funny enough, is the first book of the Bible and the first chapter of the Bible. Um, and yet, as only a Bible could do, you'll find that on page 3. All right? So right at the beginning of the Bible. But we're going to do it slightly differently because it's quite a long passage, And I found an excellent little video which gives us that whole account of the creation of the world. So have a look at this. Uh, The reason I asked you to open the Bible is just as that little reference point. You'll see how it develops. This is the story of creation according to Genesis chapter 1. Have a look at this.
1: Separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The second day, God said, Put an expanse between the waters of the earth and the waters above. And God called the expanse sky. On the third day, God said, Let dry ground appear and separate the waters on the earth. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the land produce vegetation, plants, and trees. The land produced plants and trees bearing fruit according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. The fourth day, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. He also made the stars and set them in the expanse of the sky. And God saw that it was good. On the fifth day, God said, "Let the waters be filled with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the sky." So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every winged bird according to its kind. And there was evening, and there was morning of the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to, to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God saw it in his Then God said, let us make men in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Over the livestock, over all the earth. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created him. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. On the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested.
0: Creation in a nutshell. And if you do read uh, Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God is mentioned 30 times, about over 30 times in that one chapter alone. In other words, Moses, who we believe, wrote those first five books of the Bible, was absolutely clear, God made. God said, and it was good. God said, and it was good. God made the world. God created. And that's all very well. We might just say, yeah, God created the world. That's fine. But the Creed says that we believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So as they put the creed together, as they came up with this basic statement of belief, they were passionately convinced that the fact that God is creator is significant, something that needed to be known and known for many centuries to come. So God's mentioned over 30 times, but what do we learn in this fact that he is the creator? Well, I think the first thing to say is that the creator is complex. I don't know what you thought watching that video, but you see, you know, I know I'm an only little fellow as it is. But you really do realise quite how little we are in that vast expanse of the world and of the universe, don't you? And yet God created. And the same God that created is the God that we profess to know, the same God we profess to have just sung to, the same God that we're expected to speak to us as we open his word together this afternoon. God the creator is complex. How do I say that? Well, if you've got a Bible in front of you, have a look at verses 1 and verse 26 that are in front of you there. And if not, it's on the screen. This is how it opens in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's verse 1 and 2. And verse 26 then says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now it's only a couple of words, but notice in verse 2, he says, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. So immediately we get this idea that the Spirit is there. Secondly, verse 26, we see God says, let us... Make mankind in our image. Now, God being the creator, I guess he knew his grammar, all right? And so knows by saying us immediately there. We're only in verse 26 of the Bible. We already see there's this idea of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get that idea of the Spirit being there at that point. And God says, let us. As in, I am three in one, the Holy Trinity as we come to call it. It doesn't end there either. Paul writes this in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He writes this, think about this. He writes about Jesus in these terms. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is beyond, he is, rather, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this is Jesus that he's talking about. And then we get this stupid situation where people say, well, I don't believe Jesus was the Son of God, I don't believe Jesus was God. I simply believe he was a good teacher. The Bible doesn't leave us that option. The Bible doesn't leave us an option of just saying, well, Jesus was a nice little chap who hung around Israel at the time. The Bible speaks in Jesus in terms of, he was there at the very creation. In fact, creation was made for him and made by him. So you get amazing insight as to who Jesus is at this point. So God is complex. God is revealed in his creation, but is complex. Here's how he's revealed. This is Psalm 19. As he is revealed, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the end of the world. So the psalmist, which is basically the sort of hymn book, if you like, of the Bible, right in the middle there. He writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. As in, when I look up at the skies, I see the wonder of this God, the creator. The evidence is there, if you like. I don't know if you've ever had those moments when you're aware that we're part of something bigger. Maybe in that video earlier, maybe out in the countryside... I had the privilege, when I first started working as a youth worker, I worked in the New Forest. Anybody know the New Forest, Hampshire? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of between Southampton and Bournemouth. I was in that area, and I worked for two villages uh, as their youth worker in the New Forest in the mid-90s. And it was a great place to work. I worked in one village, and then I worked in the other one. Lived in this village, commuted to this one, depending on what work I was doing with young people at the time. And there was about two and a half miles between the two villages of basically open moorland. So if you, see, if you pretty much imagine Bodmin Moor, but on a larger scale with a few trees and lots of horses running around, that's pretty much where I lived. Slightly odd place to do youth work when you used to be talking with young people and horses just used to walk along the back. Never prepared us for that college, but it was quite interesting. But there was one day I particularly remember where we had a beautiful, clear night. And I had a number of young people in my black fiesta, it was quite cool. And I came, better than the Allegro I showed you last week, It was in this fiesta. And I came over the new forest, came from one village to the next, and I had three lads in the car. And as we looked up at these stars, we decided we'd stop the car. We stopped the car, I got these kids out of the car, 15 year old lads, pretty tough lads to be honest. And we got them out and we lay out, the four of us, in the middle of the new forest on sort a of field and just looked up at the skies. We had one of those moments of awe and wonder. Now, that would probably be banned under child protection today, but nevertheless, <laughs> we had that moment where it just went silent. We were just there in the silence of this, looking up at this vast expanse of all these stars up there. The three 15-year-old lads, who were pretty tough 15-year-old lads, were awestruck in that silence. If you don't know it, we live next door to a designated night sky area. Did you know that? Well, oh, that's two of you. Uh, we do. Let me educate you. We live in a designated night sky area, okay? Bob Minmore is designated as a night sky area. It basically means, I have to Google it, but it basically means that there's not to be any more streetlights or anything so we can see the beautiful night sky that is available to us. So the question is, when did you last look up? When did you actually take it in? The wonder of this creation that's around us. When did you actually look at it and think, wow, I know the God who made that. And do you know what's even more remarkable? The God who made that wants to know you and wants to know me. How awesome is that? See, the Bible suggests as well that it's evidence that God is real and God exists. Actually, the Bible suggests there's enough evidence that people should turn to him. So Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his external power, sorry, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. I read that again, but notice that final line. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has. What he has from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. As in the Bible suggests that there's enough evidence just when we look around us at creation to see that God is real. And, folks, we have the privilege of looking and living in Cornwall. Actually, that beautiful creation that is all around us is there and evidenced. And a lot of people pay an awful lot of money to come here and see it. We get to see it every day. When did you last look up? When did you last think about the fact that God the Creator is revealed in his creation. And the Bible suggests there's no excuse. Creation points to him. It shows us who he is. So God is complex. He's the Trinity. But he's also revealed. He's seen in creation. But also God is powerful. Again, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, what you'll see is God said and it was so. God said, and it was so. You know, if we create, I don't know what it's like, I used to do cooking with the girls on very rare occasions. If my wife listens to this online, she's going to crack up because she'll remember the one time i probably did cooking with them. But I remember it was cakes. Stuffed everywhere, covered in flour. Probably looked like a snowman by the end of it. And they were probably about 15 at the time. Didn't like they were little. But we made this thing. We tried to create. And that creating is pretty messy. It's all hands-on, and it? We're all busy, we're all involved. God is so powerful that he says, let there be light, and there is one. The word of God is powerful. God utters it from his mouth, and things change. Again, the psalmist picks up on this. He said this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Beautiful image. That image that God breathes, and life comes. And that's duplicated later, when Jesus breathes on the disciples and tells them to receive his spirit. That sense that, God breathes, and its power is so great that the heavens were made, the stars come into existence. That's the sort of God that we know, <clears throat> excuse me. It's the sort of God that we know and wants to know us. See, one word from God and everything changes. It's like we have that image of sort of God the magician. You know when you see a magician on stage and, you know, they get the rabbit out of the hat or whatever. That's not very exciting these days. It's generally a woman out of a cage these days, isn't it? But in my day, my naive little innocent days growing up, used to be a rabbit out of a hat. Now it's a woman in not much out of the cage. But anyway, can't have it all. So you get that idea. Boom! And it comes. The magician. And we're lost in that awesomeness of how on earth did they do that? The mystery. And of course it's never revealed. That's still for a magician, never reveals his traits. But you know, I was thinking about this this week and thinking about that idea that boom, God says and it was made. Boom, God says and it happens. But it took him six days. I was fascinated by that. Whatever you believe about, whether that six days is a literal 24 hours, whether it's longer than that, shorter than that, I don't really care. What I care about is you believe that God made, and he did it in an order that was regulated. He did it in an order that was set, and he didn't rush it. You ever seen it like that? So God says, let there be light, and there's a light. And he goes, well, that'll do for today. Hmm. And then he gets to us at the end, and he says, let us make man our <coughs> image. Um. <laughs> There's that beautiful act of creation, the pinnacle of the creation that is you and it's me. He takes his time about it. And when he gets to the end of it, every day he says, it was good. Good. <laughs> the Bible's full of understatement, isn't it? So God says, let there be light. The sun beam He goes, well, that's good. We go, that's amazing. It's good. And then he gets to us at the end and he says, It was very good. The delight in God in created human beings, in creating human beings, very good. Just start thinking about those days that the way he does it, he does it, boom, the light comes. But he's in complete and utter control. He paces it along. For all that power that God has, he's in complete control. And that power, and the Creator is full of power, a God of power, is something that again comes out right through the Bible. And especially, of course, when he raises Jesus from the dead. And this is what Paul writes there. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer for the church at Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power, see that word again, for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So that power that God has in creation, the boom, the majesty, the wonder of his creation, then carries on into the boom, the power, the wonder of Jesus rising from the dead. And then Paul says, and he goes, boom, that power is for you as well. That power is his gift to us as well. And we might know that, we might live in that, we might experience it. And that power is for us who believe. We took the dog up to Polzeth yesterday for a walk. And we're on the beach and the waves are breaking and we have a cocker spaniel. Cocker spaniels, I don't know what it is about cocker spaniels and water, but it's like, yay, dive in. So you know how cold it was yesterday? It was freezing on Polzeth beach yesterday. As soon as there's a puddle, bam, in goes the dog. Up to an X, swimming, whatever. But we got to the sea, really interesting. We get to the sea and the waves come in. She's like, oh, no, I didn't like that. And she runs back. The power of the waves are just too much. You know, part of us as we follow God, we like the stillness, the little waves. Oh yeah, I'll dive in there. Go to church a bit, that's quite nice. Part of us, oh, I'll read the Bible a bit, that's quite nice. I'll read especially the nice bits that don't get complicated. I'll pray those nice little prayers. But you know, what we see is a God who says, don't just dive in the little pools, but get in the waves, get in the real midst of it, in the power that he gives So that's why as a church we pray for people, praying that God would heal them. That's why we pray for this town, believing that God would move in this town. And we would see that. We see it today, evidence of it, of what God does. We believe in the power of God to be at work. We want to see more of that. We want to step into that and believe it. The Bible says that same power is available to us who believe. So the logic of that is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Are you living in it? Are you exercising it? Am I modelling that? Are we growing together in learning how that power affects us? The same power that created the world. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that's available to us today. So God is complex. God is revealed. And God is powerful. But believing in the creator also makes us the Creator. So if we're creative, we're not accidental, we're not incidental, we're not a byproduct. we're not a mistake, but we're his handiwork. I love this line, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because if you're here today and you're like, well, what is my purpose in life? What am I really here for? What am I on the planet for? Here it is. You're God's handiwork. God's handiwork so handiwork. So, this chair whoever made this chair that was their handiwork whoever made the carpet that was their handiwork they were involved in that process you are God's handiwork he's involved in that process he produces you with a purpose with a direction you are God's handiwork look at what Paul says created in Christ Jesus to do good works not to look in the mirror and go yeah I know I'm a pretty good handiwork but to do something with it to live it out to do those good works to make that real difference and look at the way that's put prepared in advance for us to do by god god has a purpose for you and for me as his creation and that purpose never ends we can't retire from that purpose that god gives us we can't step off from that purpose god gives us it is always there god has a purpose for you god wanted you here at this point in time God wants you to step into that promise that he has and all the power that he has for you. And if we believe that, if we really believe that, it completely transforms the way we see people. I quoted the situation with Jamie Jenkins last week. And I quote it again this week because I was impacted again this week by that. Jamie, you know, has popped into church here time and time again for his free cup of tea and off he goes again we invited him so many times to stay and he doesn't join us. Now he's having accommodation provided as a result for Her Majesty the Queen, her kind! for a number of weeks. Then he's going to be banned from Bobmin. The banter on um, Bobmin voice apparently is how great it is to get rid of that so-and-so off the streets of Bobmin. He was at the prayer space on Tuesday in Waffles Coffee Shop, one o'clock. Join us if you can. And as we're there, people are praying for Jamie that in prison... Someone would come alongside him and show him something of what it is to know Jesus. Folks, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that created is at work. Imagine if it was at work in Jamie Jenkins and he comes back here and absolutely transformed man. What an impact would that have on this time? So my prayer is that we would keep praying that. We keep believing it because it changes everything. Four, Jamie is God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let's have it just in some remote lovely little thought. Let's turn it into reality. The people we meet, damaged, hurting, struck with all sorts as they are, are God's handiwork. And that causes us to love them. That causes us to believe the best for them. It causes us to pray for them. It causes us to stand with them. Even when they may not understand that and may throw it back in our face. You know, if we do have a purpose, then we're not here just to be tossed around by the waves of life. We're here to discover what that is. And as we go into 2020, if you feel challenged by that, you think, "Well, what is my purpose?" Then I want to give you an offer this afternoon. I did this many years ago with my youth group, and uh, in those times, I was blessed with a substantial youth group, 40 or 50 kids, sort of type thing. And I got to one session. And we did something very similar on the whole idea. God has created you, God's given you a purpose. And I said to this group of 40 young people, I said, folks, if you're not sure what your purpose is, then make a deal with me. Arrange to have a cup of coffee with me this week so we can sit down, we can pray, and we can ask God what your purpose is in life. Got to the end of the session, no response from anybody except the one kid, and he was walking towards me going, no, Lord, not him, not him, not (laughs) him. And we met up for that cup of coffee and, praise God by his grace, managed to say something wise into his life your purpose? You know, let's face it, there's no going back. We can only go forward. So what's your purpose now? What has God created in advance for you to do? And believe me, that is unique for you to do. It may just be one conversation this week. Maybe just one act of kindness this week. Maybe just one belief in someone who's lost any belief in themselves. But they're God's handiwork, made in His image. And we're called to show them that and to make a real difference in their lives as well. Because we are children of God, sons and daughters of the Creator God who made the universe. Just think about that for a moment. How stupidly, ridiculously wonderful is that? The God who made the universe, last week we heard is God our Father. We are sons and daughters of God. But we all have a choice. Because that Father stands there and he offers it to us. We looked at this last week. He offers it to us, but we have to accept it. We have to ask him for it. If you're here today and you're trying to explore what that means and what that looks like, I'd love to have that cup of coffee with you this week. Loving love you to take one of the Why Jesus booklets at the back of the church before you go today. Have a read. They're all free to take. Because this almighty God, the creator of the universe, loves you so much that he sent his son. That all the (coughs) sin, the wrongness, all the things that get in the way of our relationship with God, he would destroy, that we would know him and know the wonder of being his. But we have to ask. We have to turn from that sin. We have to ask him to come into our lives. And amazingly, some people recently discovered that to be true and the wonder of what it is to know Jesus and that reality in our lives. Pursue that. Discover what that is. Discover what it is to have that purpose and be creative in you. Because you see, if we understand who we are, then it changes everything. Our starting point is no longer a security about what we do. And, you know, that terrible question, I'm John, what do you do? That sort of type question that everybody asks everybody. Who are you? We're always trying to define ourselves. Wouldn't it be great, slightly odd maybe, But if somebody said, hello, I'm Fred, who are you? And I went, well, I'm a child. I'm John, I'm a child of God. I might get arrested, but it would be awesome. (laughs) But can you imagine if my first thought is, I'm John, I'm a child of God. Imagine how I'd take each day on the chin. Imagine how confident I would be in who I am in him. It changes everything. And yet we need to accept when we think about creation, actually we live in a society that really teaches the opposite, doesn't it? So Darwinism, the theory of evolution, is taught not as a theory, but as practice, as confidently, as it's solid, as it's a scientific th- truth. Actually, it remains a theory. The Big Bang is taught as if it is the one and only truth. But even if the Big Bang did happen, then of course it still needs somebody to light the fuse, doesn't it? Who's there to make that in the first place? And this could be one of those talks where you end up just going down the hole, is it creation or is it evolution? And I don't want to do that today. I don't think that's what we're, we're about today. Very happy to talk to you about it if you wanted to. But what I do want to say is not whether I'm an evolutionist or a creationist, where I fit in all of that, what that might mean to me. Although I should say I'm very happy to talk to you. But I do want to say Moses, who we believe wrote these first five books, knew exactly the order of creation that would sustain life. If you look at it, the order of an evolutionary pattern is based actually on Genesis chapter 1. Everything comes in the right order for that to be in place. There's all those theories like if they look at the sun, if the sun was like half a degree out or something like that, we'd have scorched by now. All that wonder of how God holds things. And amazingly, an ex-Egyptian, thousands of years ago, writes it in the book and understands it. God made the world. And I think part of the challenge is that as Christians we can feel we're a bit ancient, we're sort of ex-Egyptians as well, when we speak up for creation, when we speak up for that idea that God made the world. And we can feel particularly non-scientific if we believe that the world was created by God. But that's to do those scientists that do believe in God a disservice. I've got a little video, this is Dr. Francis Collins... And he was the lead scientist on the Human Genome Project, the work that mapped human DNA for the first time. Significant scientist, looked at the whole nature of human DNA and mapped it. And he is, this is him speaking about his appreciation of God as creator. Listen to this. What is the home where I grew up? Uh, Faith was not
2: something that was talked about very much. Uh, My father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain while I was with her. And She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that phase, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, What do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientist's claim they do, is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road, who I went and asked about all this, and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, near Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis, and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning, and it's fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain, very precise range to make life possible, uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe—something that makes you think the creator must have
0: been a mathematician. The amazing thing is, it's not just Christian scientists. So this is Professor Stephen hawking you all know him—and in his brief history of time, he wrote this: "The odds of a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous." I think there are clearly religious implications. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way, except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. Statement, eh? I believe in God, the Creator. If we believe in God, the Creator, then the world has a purpose, and we have a purpose. The world is begun by God, is sustained by God, and will one day be wrapped up by God. And in the middle of that, in all the mix of that, somewhere along the line, we can know the Creator. And His desire is to make us a new creation. I don't know how you're doing, we're only two weeks into the creed. So far we've learned that you can know God as Father. Which leads us to a simple question. Do you? Do you know God as Father? And then the second one from today, do you recognise him as creator? Because the implication is this, that when we know who God is, then he tells us who we are. When we know who God is, he tells us who we are. Do you notice the starting point there? So much of this world says, you know, find yourself. Go on this course, find yourself. Read this book, find yourself. Celebrities take time out to find themselves. Perhaps Harry and Meghan have got that in hand. Whatever's happening. God says, look at me. Look at who I am. Find out who I am, because in that way you will find out who you are. We are his handiwork. His creation. His children, made in his image. And if that's the case, then we have an amazing purpose. We have meaning to our life. We are his but as I outlined earlier, it's our choice. It's our choice on a daily basis. So today I'm going to live for you. Here's the challenge for this week. Do you really know who God is? Are you going to really pursue Him? And I mean that whether you're still on that journey and are yet to decide to make that commitment to Christ for yourself, or whether you made that commitment many years ago, are you prepared to continue to say this week, Lord, show me more of the wonder who you are? And the second part of that is this are you prepared to live as someone who knows who they are in God but also are you prepared to share that with others to love them as any God could love them to recognise them as his creation to stand alongside them, to bring that hope, to bring that belief knowing that the more we know who he is the more we know who we are I'm going to play you a track just to end and I want us to Just listen to the words of it. It's a famous Hillsong song. song. Um, And it just reflects a little bit on the wonder of creation. And as we do that, ask yourself that question. What do you need God to show you, to reveal of himself to you this afternoon? Where do you need it maybe to mop up some of the stuff in your life that's just a little bit of a mess and isn't quite where it should be? And let him remind you again that you're his hand word. That he loves you dearly. And there is a purpose and a meaning for you. I purposely haven't put the words up. The words are nice and clear. And I purposely haven't put them up so that we can listen. You may want to do that with your eyes shut. You may want to keep them open. But my prayer is that the Lord would whisper to each one of us this afternoon. Wherever we're at. Whatever we need to learn. Whatever we need to hear from him. like Sal shared earlier, that poem, just that sense that we hear what he says to us. So let's pray together as we listen to this song. Make your own response to God as we do so.